Thanks for joining us today. We would love to hear how God is using this ministry in your life. So please take a minute and visit NBCOcala.com slash stories to share your story. And if God has used this ministry to touch your life in any way, we want to encourage you to partner with us financially. Help us to continue delivering God's Word to the world. You can give online or through our mobile giving app. Hey, help me welcome our internet audience real quick. Thank you guys so much for being with us. We love you. We appreciate you. Go ahead and find somebody. Before you sit down, tell somebody they're looking real good tonight. Tell them they're looking real good. Tell somebody they're looking real good. I'm going to be sipping water. I'm going to be coughing. I might be like, gross, you know. I'm sorry. (laughs) My name is Nick, by the way. I'm the uh, young adults pastor here at Meadowbrook Church. So, yeah, young adults in the house. Hey, if you are a young adult, 18 to 29 years old, um, we have service every Monday night right here at 7 o'clock in this room. It's awesome. You'll love it. Uh, So come hang out with us Monday, 7 o'clock for C20, our young adult ministry here at Meadowbrook Church. And uh, you know what? I'm pumped for a lot of reasons, but I'm super stoked for Easter. Anybody excited for Easter? Oh, my gosh. All right. So we got some faith goals here at Meadowbrook Church for Easter. We want to see 12,000 people come through those doors and hear about the good news of Jesus Christ. So we want to see 12,000 people, and we want to see 250 people give their lives to Jesus at Easter. Can, you, can we get excited about that? 250 people from death to life, lost to found. That's what we're trying to do here at Easter, Saturday and Sunday at our services for Easter. It's going to be incredible. And y'all can be a part of it. Y'all can be a huge part of it. Um, I, I think the, the statistic was 80% of people, if invited to Easter, would come. 80%. You got some good odds. Tell somebody next to me, we got good odds. Tell them, we got good odds. We got good odds. So invite, some, invite your friends, your sphere of influence. I mean, whoever, anyone, anyone with a pulse, just invite them. Um, for real, anybody. That's a good rule of thumb. They got a pulse, bring them to Easter. We have... Uh, uh, invest in invite cards at guest services, so make sure to get a fat stack on your way out and just make it rain over all Ocala, man. Just invite everybody you can. Also, so you can invite, um, you can also attend our Saturday night services instead of our Sunday services. Uh, I know you're like, oh, no, 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 it's Easter Sunday. No, it's okay. It's okay. Jesus is going to be there Saturday night too. Uh, He will. I promise. I promise he will. But What that is, is just you're opening up more seats for more guests to come and hear about Jesus. You you can be a part of one of those 250 people meeting Jesus by just showing up on Saturday night instead of Sunday. It's that easy. So show up on Saturday if you want to. No pressure. Please do. And, uh, And then you can also pray. Please pray. Pray that God shows up. Pray that uh, Pastor Tim has the energy. Six services is a lot. That's, that, that's no joke, uh, that, that he has the energy to preach God's word and that, and that people show up in droves and give their life to Christ. And those 12,000 people come in, 250 get blown out of the water because God can do that. He's bigger than all that stuff. Come on. Yeah. Hey, do you all love your pastor? Anybody love your pastor in here? I love that guy. Pastor Tim, if you're watching, I love you. And I want to be like you when I grow up. Thank you for, for trusting me. Seriously, thank you for trusting me uh, and allowing uh, me to be on your platform. I don't take it lightly, so thank you. Thank you so much. Um, but I have a, com- a, a confession to make tonight. Can I confess? Is it okay for us not to be perfect? Let's take off the perfect mask because um, you're not, and neither am I. 
um, I'm a lot more offendable than I think. <laughs> Uh-oh. I'm a lot more offendable than I'd like to be, just, just being real. Um, and you might be too. And here's the litmus test. If you've ever gotten mad, if somebody asked you, why are you mad? Or why are you offended? And you've ever, if your response has ever been, I'm not offended, I'm not mad. Who do you think you are? You know all that. Maybe you didn't say it, but in here, you know, you know what I'm talking about. You're not mad. I'm not mad. Who do you think? You're not all that. Um, I'm a lot more offendable than I think I am. And I know this because of traffic. <laughs> traffic. If I let somebody out in traffic, I'm expecting the wave. <laughs> here it is. This is proper wave etiquette, people. <clears throat> I'm about to lay it down for you. Proper wave etiquette. Head down just a little. Up, hand up. That's it. That's it. Thank you so much, sir. I appreciate your infinite generosity. That's what, that, that's what I want. Anything less, it's not good enough. I don't know why you're laughing. It's true. You, you think it. Don't. I've been given the pinky flip once. Someone was on the phone, and all they, and all they went was, bing. Not good enough. Uh, I, I, I've been. The nod. Just the. Mm-mm. That's not going to cut it. That means nothing to me. And God help you if you do nothing. God help you if you ignore me altogether. I'll run you right off the road. <laughs> right off the road. I'm more offendable. <laughs> oh, I'm bad. I'm more offendable uh, than I think. If I'm not invited to something and you're my friend and I see you on Instagram posting about it and stuff, having a good time with you and all the friends that I'd like to be a part of and you didn't invite me, I'm unfriending you. I'm unfollowing you. <laughs> I'm taking you off my MySpace top eight. <laughs> Throwing it back. Oh, yeah, you're dead to me. <laughs> when I've been working out and my wife uh, doesn't notice and doesn't compliment me, sit in the front row, by the way, so just so you know. <laughs> if I've been working out and you haven't noticed, I haven't said anything, you can't touch it then. If you're not going to appreciate it, you can't touch this. I'm more offendable than I would like to be. <laughs> I should stay on my notes, huh? That's probably a good idea. But one thing I pretty much am sure about all of us, myself included, is we are on the offense to find offense. We are on the offense to find Offense. We are looking, oftentimes we go out of our way to find offense, to get angry. We're on the offense to find offense. But tonight, I want to lay down our right to be offended. I want to pick up the truth of God's grace for our lives and the grace for other people in our lives. Because we are on the offense to find Offense. And uh, let's go to the, we're going to learn a Greek word tonight. You're going to be smart. Mm, you can show off and people can get offended at you because you're so smart. <laughs> Tell somebody next to you, you look smart. Tell them, you look smart. Okay, offense. Okay, you're not that smart. <laughs> offense is from the, the root word, the Greek word, scandalon. Everyone say scandalon. Scandalon. And very clearly, scandalon. The Greek word 
What was written in the original Greek in the Bible means a snare, a noose, or a trap. A trap. A fence is a funny thing. And I think it looks a lot like mouse, trap, Jenga. Go ahead and roll that. That's cheese that they're picking off. Didn't that dude look like Gimli from Lord of the Rings? You know what I'm talking about? Hey, my nerds in the house know what I'm talking about? That's the most redneck backwoods game you can imagine. I think we should start a small group. Who wants me and my mousetrap Jenga small group? Anybody come do that? Those guys were totally wasted playing that game, I'm sure. Mouse trap Jenga. Because given the, yeah, that was awesome. Given the original Greek word, offense is a trap. It's a trap. But no one's, no one is attracted to the trap. Think about a trap. No, no animal ever goes, that trap is awesome. I'm about to get all up in there. <laughs> it's not the trap that's attractive. It's the bait. So if fence is a trap, then what's the bait? Because those guys weren't attracted to the mouse trap. They didn't go, oh, well, I'm just going to play with this thing until it, <laughs> it messes me up. They wanted the bait, the cheese. If a fence is a trap, then the bait is our right to be right. The bait is how good it feels when I'm right and you're wrong. The bait is how good it feels when I win and you lose. The bait is how good it feels when I'm good and you're bad. The bait is I'm better than you. A fence is a trap. No one wants the trap. We're attracted to the bait, how good it feels to win. Those guys didn't love the trap. They wanted to beat the other guy. They wanted to win. A fence is a trap, but the bait that draws us into a fence is how good it feels when we, let, we win, we're right, and they're wrong. A fence is a trap. We're attracted to how good it feels to be right. And I've asked my wife a lot, how does it feel to be married to someone who's always right? Who's just always, who's always right. She still doesn't know, okay? Pray for that woman. She's married to, married to a preacher. It's bad. And when we get in, uh, not arguments, but healthy discussions, um, that's what you do when you have a healthy marriage, I guess. And uh, she'll, she'll say, don't preach at me. Don't preach at me. How many points is this sermon? Hmm? Should I take notes? She lets me know. I appreciate it. We're not attracted to the trap of offense. We're attracted to the bait, how good it feels to be right, and how good it feels when they're wrong, how good it feels to win, how good it feels when they lose. We're on the offense to find offense. So when we begin to feel this desire to be right, when we f feel this desire welling up in us to win, 
we have to remember one thing, and it's the foundation of the whole message that we're going to talk about. We have to remember, I've been given grace. Say it. I've been given grace. Y'all play along so much better than C20. I love you. I've been given grace. Check this out. In uh, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4, it says this. But God is rich in mercy, and he loved us very much. We were spiritually dead because of all we've done against him, all the offenses that we've done against God. But, woo, I love that but. That's a big old but right there. Tell somebody that's a big old but. This is an awesome but. But, come on, people, get your mind out of it. But, he gave us new life together with Christ. Oh, this is awesome. You have been saved by God's grace. Yeah, you can give God praise for that. If nothing else, that's the most important thing. You've been saved by God's grace. We've all offended God with our sin, but he's given grace anyway. Not because we deserve it. Shoot, I know I don't deserve it. If you knew half the stuff about me, You'd walk out of this place. You're like, I'm not listening to the guy. Forget him. He's a sinner. We'll pray for him in our small group and gossip about him. That's, that's what we do. We've been given grace. Not because we're awesome. Not because you have it all together. Not because I have it all together. We've been given grace because God is awesome. God has it together. And he's decided, even in our offenses, to extend forgiveness through Jesus and grace through Jesus. So how does this work? What, 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 what are we doing here? I think that we can look at the life of Jesus, one specific situation, one specific interaction, and uh, we can draw some principles from it about how we can flesh this out, this idea of overcoming offense and our right to be offended in our lives. So if you have a Bible, we're finally getting to the Bible. Uh, Luke chapter 7, verse 36. And we're going to be in Luke 7 the whole time. Luke chapter 7, verse 36. And if you don't have a Bible, Totally cool. I brought mine, and it's right behind me. Super big. Okay. Luke chapter 7, verse 36. We'll just read and talk about it. Here we go. When one of the Pharisees, his name was Simon, by the way. So when Simon the Pharisee invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. So something interesting to know is that, obviously, the Pharisees and Jesus did not get along. It's like UF and FSU. Any Gators in the house? Gators in the house. Get your chomp on. Get your chomp on. Where you at? Yeah, okay. All right. You know what? That's just an easy way to get an applause here in Ocala, but I'm going to do it anyway. Gators, where my FSU at? Not as proud. Okay, well, you shouldn't be. All right. I'm just, ah, I'm just kidding. Don't be offended. All right, so what's interesting about this is the Pharisees, Hated Jesus' guts, obviously, because Jesus had influence and power over people that they wanted, really. They, they, they wanted it. So what's interesting is that Simon, a Pharisee, invited Jesus to come hang out with him and recline at his table, his dinner table. And it's, I think it's interesting because we don't know if, if this invitation was genuine or not. Because oftentimes we know the Pharisees would try to get Jesus in situations so he could um, say something stupid and then they would arrest him and get all his power. So we don't know if Simon was being real 
being genuine about this invitation, but what I think is awesome is that Jesus went anyway. Number one, I've been given grace. Remember, that's the foundation. I've been given grace, so I'll give others the benefit of the doubt. I've been given grace, so I'll give others the benefit of the doubt. Jesus went anyway. He could read minds, and he was Jesus, but for us, we don't always know what people are thinking. Let's give them the benefit of the doubt. And we don't often do this, especially over text messages or emails. You read those the worst possible way, don't you? I do too. If someone um, says whatever to me in a text message, I read it as whatever. When they're probably really saying whatever. Whatever you want. Really deferring. I defer to your judgment. Whatever. I'm, I'm like, who do they think they are? What, whatever. Don't you know who I am? I'm important. No, they're saying, whatever. Or when, you, or when someone gives you a short response back, K, I wrote you a paragraph <laughs> with multiple layers of questions and K, are your thumbs broken? K, what do you think you are? Come over there and whatever. It's amazing what a smiley face emoji does. You know what I mean? Just to brighten up the situation. Any awkwardness goes away. Just. It's great. Give others the benefit of the doubt. Because the breeding ground for offense in our life is what I call the expectation gap. And the expectation gap is the space between what we expect of people up here and the reality of people's actions in our life. And there's often a gap created between what we expect and what people do. I thought you were going to come through, but you didn't. You were late, or I wanted you to be on time. You were late. You promised me this. You didn't keep it. And in there, offense breeds. Offense loves it. So what we have to do, give people the benefit of the doubt, is fill that gap with grace. Fill that gap with grace. Just assume the best. Hey, uh, we had a meeting, but you were, you were late. You know, but I'm sure, you know, I, I know, they're, they're, you know they're, their kids are young, and maybe he was trying to get them dressed for school. or You know, give grace. Fill that gap with grace. And what's important for us to know specifically is that the people closest to us can hurt us the most because we expect the most out of them. Because the gap is bigger. We expect them to always be on their A game. And when they're not, there's a huge fall. That's why it hurts so much more. Because we expect more out of them. So let's fill the gap with grace and and assume the best. That's what Jesus did. He didn't know that this was a real genuine invitation. But he went. So Jesus is here, hanging out, reclining at the table with, my, my jeans are way too tight for that. I'll try. Reclining at the table with Simon the Pharisee and some other Pharisees in the room as well. This is where it gets crazy. The Bible is awesome. Verse 37. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life. Okay. Sinful life. In uh, other translations, it says, woman of the city. That doesn't mean she has a loft downtown. You know what I'm saying? She's a prostitute. She sells her body 
for her life. That's what she does. And in cities, back in the day, towns, they were much smaller. So a large town, a large city, back in the day was 50, 100,000. I mean, that was, that was pretty much max. So she was a well-known prostitute. So a woman in that town who was a woman of the city learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. Oh, my gosh. Okay. So Jesus is hanging out with all these Pharisees, all these moral elites, people that think that they're awesome and everyone else is no good. A room full of them. (laughs) And the door opens. Prostitute. In the door frame. And I, this is conjecture, but can you imagine all those Pharisees, those well-to-dos, people that are perfect, sitting around, reclining at the table, looking at each other. They look at the prostitute. Look at each other. Who ordered the prostitute? <laughs> Frank? Yeah, I've been suspecting for a while. Even. But no one did. And what makes it even more awkward? She opens the door and makes a beeline. Straight to Jesus. Straight to him. Because people that are hurting and broken are always attracted to Jesus. Always attracted to Jesus. Those people that you bring to Easter, they'll be attracted to Jesus too. She makes a beeline to Jesus. Verse 38. As she stood behind him and then at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. Little girls... Don't dream of one day becoming a prostitute. Little girls don't dress up and look in the mirror and say, one day I'm going to sell my body to sad men. They don't dream of that one day. That's a lifestyle that just falls in your lap. That's a lifestyle that just happens. That's no one's first choice. So here's this woman who's seen things, Heard things, done things, felt things, smelled things, been in places she had never imagined. That was not her choice, not her first choice. There, he, there she is, at the feet of Jesus, weeping bitterly, pouring out all the sin, all the shame, all the guilt, all the f- thoughts of unworthiness, that she could never be loved, and, and the hopelessness, and the filth, and the dirt, just pouring out all of that at the feet of Jesus with all these moral elites, all these perfect people watching. No little girl dreams of becoming that one day. Nobody does. Verse 39. When the Pharisee who had invited him, Simon, saw this, he said to himself, that means he thought, he thought, If this man were a prophet, if Jesus was legit, he would know who is touching him and what kind of a woman she is, that she is a sinner. Number two, I've been given grace, so I won't label others. I've been given grace, so I won't label others. These people didn't know what she'd been through What she wanted to be one day was not a prostitute. 
They judged her immediately just by who she appeared to be. I've been given grace, so I won't label others. And while I was putting this message together, God, uh, God convicted me. He dealt with me because I was harboring some offense of, of someone we, um, some well-known person. Um, he's an uh, international bestseller and speaker, preacher, pastor, big dog, awesome guy. Um, and uh, in, in churches that I've, I've worked at, I had the opportunity, the honor to, to host guest speakers. So I would pick up the airport and carry their stuff, you know, uh, take them to lunch, you know, just re- treat them right, treat them right. And uh, we were at a church, and uh, it, he had, you know, preached the services. And all that morning, I've been, I've been really treating them right. I mean, I've been holding every door. I've been carrying them stuff, you know. I, I mean, I was, I, was, I was really trying to honor this guy. Then after the services, he, um, and if I said his name, we would all know who he is. So I'm not going to say his name. I know you're wondering. I'm not going to say it. So, um, so after the services, he did this leadership teaching for all of our volunteers um, and our high-level leaders. And he called me up to do an illustration. And in front of everybody, with a microphone strapped on him, he said, what's your name again? Excuse me? So I told him, and we did the illustration, and I was like, for real? Robin kissing your butt all morning, carrying your stuff, and who, who do you think you are, man? And, um, and I had some other people come up to me after, like, for real? We didn't know your name? Like, I'm like, I know. Let's beat him up. You know, I didn't, I didn't say that. <laughs> so anyway, pretty, for real, this happened like a year ago. Putting this message together, I was like, for real? I'm an idiot. This guy, godly guy. He travels all over the world. It's a miracle he remembers his schedule, let alone people's names. I'm not that important to him, and that's okay. That's okay. I, was, I, was, I, I labeled him. I talked bad about him. I really did. I was like, oh, that guy? Well, let me tell you about him. You know, that's awful. I did. I labeled him a, a prideful and arrogant and, uh, you know, too good for people. But what we have to remember is this. We judge others by their actions, We judge ourselves by our intentions. Let that sink in. We judge others by their actions, who they are in the moment. What they do is who they are. Good, bad, ugly. We don't care about their past. We don't care about the day they're having. We we, we don't care their thought process. We don't care if they're tired. We don't care if they have a, a, a newborn baby at home. What they do is who they are immediately in the moment. We judge others by their actions. But we judge ourselves by our intentions. I know I'm a good person, ah, you know, because we know the behind the scenes of our life. I was late to that because. I didn't show up because. I didn't come through because. Try flipping it. Try judging yourself by your actions and other people by their intentions. I guarantee you, whoever you're offended with in your life, you're harboring offense, unforgiveness towards, if you got to know them a little better and got to know their backstory, I guarantee you that could change everything for you. I've been given grace, so I won't label others. And look, I'm so glad my wife didn't label me because I was a jerk when we met. I had cheated on every girlfriend before. Playa, playa, playa. Mm, it was bad. It was awful. Don't laugh at that. It's terrible. You can. I, I cheated on every girlfriend before. I was a jerk, prideful. I mean, I, I was just a bad dude. She saw something in me, so thank you. <laughs> she could have labeled me. She didn't. 
She saw past that. Didn't judge me by my actions, by my intentions. I'm so grateful for that. I've been given grace, so I'm going to do the same. So Simon thought to himself, man, if Jesus was legit, if this man was really a prophet, he would know that the woman touching him is a sinner. That's her label. She's a sinner. Verse 40 says this, and Jesus is a boss. I love this right here. Verse 40, Jesus answered him. Simon thought it, and Jesus answered it. Isn't that that cool? I love Jesus. So Simon's like, just thinking, man, he he wouldn't let that prostitute touch him. She ain't going to touch me. That ain't going to happen. If if he was legit, he would know. And Jesus is like, hey, Simon, I'm going to tell you something. This is the Bible. Read this thing. It's awesome. Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. So Jesus goes into parable because Jesus is the best preacher teacher to ever live. Verse 41. Two people owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500, <coughs> 500 denarii and the other 50. So denarii is uh, the amount of money you would get for one day's wage of work. So someone owed a dude 500 days of labor worth of money. That's like over a year and a half. That's a lot of debt. And the other dude owed 50. Still a lot. Verse 42. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Woo! That would be nice. That would be great, huh? So he forgave debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? 43. Yeah, Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven? You have judged correctly, Jesus said. And all the while, in this exchange, the woman is still there, still weeping, still cleaning, still pouring out all that sin, all that shame at the feet of Jesus while this exchange is going on. Verse 47, therefore I tell you, looking at the woman, oh, this is so good. Therefore, I tell you, her sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown. She is reacting properly to the forgiveness that I've given her. But whoever has forgiven little loves little. Number three, I've been given grace, so I'll forgive as I've been forgiven. I've been given grace. So I'll forgive as I've been forgiven. Because look, we have been forgiven for so much more than we know. So much more than you know. All the sin, all the dirty parts of your life that you don't want anyone to know. Those things in the deepest, darkest corners of your soul. Those things that if, (laughs) if it got out, you could be ruined. Those things that you have never told anyone, those hidden things, we've been forgiven for all of it. All of it. Every single despicable, nasty, dirty, worthless piece, all of it. Not because we're great or we deserve it, far from it, but because God is great and he is good. He is so good. Amen. Now, yeah, you can give God praise for that. Yeah. Now, I want to be mindful because we have people in here that have genuine offense. 
Someone in your life has really wronged you. Someone close to you, maybe used you, abused you. And I want to be mindful of that. When it comes to offense and forgiveness, if you've been genuinely wrongly offended, and I think we all know what I'm talking about, you don't have to restore the relationship. You don't. But you have to forgive. You, ha- you have to forgive. And it's not even for the other person. Because when you forgive, you get free. When you forgive, you get free. Harboring unforgiveness is like setting yourself on fire and hoping the other person burns to death. Harboring unforgiveness is like drinking a gallon of poison and saying, die, I hate you. That's what it's like. Because truthfully, the person that's offended you probably doesn't know, probably doesn't care. And they're living their life, doing their thing, not even thinking about what you're going through. And that unforgiveness, that offense that you're harboring is stopping the work of God in your life. He has a future. He has promises. He has purpose for you that you can't get to because you're stuck in, well, that's what they did. And I would be there if they didn't do that. When you forgive, you get free. Forgiveness is for you. It's for your soul. It's for your future. It's for your purposes, the purposes that God has for, you, for your life. When you forgive, you get free. Let's keep reading together. Verse 48. We're almost done. It's going to be really good. Oh, the, oh, this, this is, oh, this is so good. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. Okay. So this woman who probably doesn't get a lot of eye contact because of her profession. She probably doesn't want a lot of eye contact because she's guilty and shameful. And she knows that other people are judging her. So she's at at Jesus' feet cleaning. When she's out walking around, she's probably walking downcast because of old friends that know what she does or family members that know what she does. And she doesn't want to lock eyes with people. She probably doesn't get a lot of interaction other than with clients. Interaction she doesn't want. So she's there, eyes at the feet of Jesus. And I imagine that Jesus picks up her head. A woman that doesn't get eye contact. Jesus looks at her as someone not to abuse, someone not to use, As material possession, he looks at her as someone who is worth his life. And he says, your sins are forgiven. Verse 48. The other guests began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? He's Jesus. He's Jesus. Jesus, check this, is the only one who ever has a right to be offended because he's perfect. He can be. And in his right to be offended, what does he do? Forgives. The only person that has ever had the right to be truly offended extends forgiveness like none other. None other. 
Have you ever been around someone who's way too over the top, overly aggressive about something? If you're not raising your hand, it's you. I have. Like if I'm playing basketball and somebody's playing defense, like it's game seven of the NBA finals and they got goggles on and they got like, like wristbands and stuff and they're guarding way too close and I'm back up, bro. This is, this is weird, man. You're over the top aggressive. Chill out. You weren't even good in high school. Stop it. Stop it. Or if somebody playing a board game, <laughs> you know, throws a table over and <laughs> throws the cards in the air and says, this is stupid. I got to take a walk. I just literally described what I did one night. I'm not kidding. Over the top aggressive, ridiculous. Ridiculous aggressive, just stupid. Over the top. That's what God does with our offense. Romans 5:20 says this. This is incredible. Oh my gosh. But sin didn't. Our offense against God is sin. Sin didn't and doesn't have a chance in competition with the aggressive forgiveness we call grace. God's forgiveness is not idle. It's not kind of just chilling. It's not waiting for you to make the first move. His forgiveness and grace is aggressive, over the top, in your face, ridiculous aggressive. Ridiculous. Check this. It gets better. It gets better. When it's sin, oh my gosh. When it's sin versus grace, grace wins hands down. There's no competition. It's not even something to consider. When it's sin, your offense against God versus his grace, his aggressive, ridiculous grace, your, your sin, your offense, oh my gosh, it's like, it's like JV and he's all pro. I mean, it's like not even close. Go home. Your sin is sissy compared to his aggressive grace. It's sissy sin. You got nothing on it. You got nothing on him in any way. Sissy sin. <laughs> Hear this. You and I, we're messed up. We are on the offense to find offense. But God is on the offense to forgive offense. God is on the offense to forgive offense. That means he's seeking out your sin. Not, not to condemn you. Not to kick you while you're down. Not to say you need to get it together. Not to say, I told you so. I knew you'd be here. No, 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 no. Because what does Jesus do? He picks up her head. He doesn't say, you need to clean up first. You need to get it together. You're forgiven. You're forgiven for all of it. Every dark corner... Every night that you spent with clients, all the sin, all the shame, all the guilt, you're forgiven. We're on the offense to find offense, to be right, to be better, to feel good about ourselves. But God is on the offense to forgive offense, even yours. You might feel like this is a message for somebody else, then this is a message just for you. God is seeking you out, seeking out your offense, your sin, not to condemn you, not to kick you while you're down, to forgive you because his aggressive grace covers all. 
Thanks for listening to this week's message from Meadowbrook Church. We hope you'll stay connected by following us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at NBC Ocala.